Mark, oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Yep. He gave me such a fright. I couldn't find my notes. I'm nearly there, but I've got a way to go. Without notes, not ready yet. <laughs> Lord, help me. Um, I'm going to pray my own little prayer. Just to deal, I need to take up the offering. Yes, as, as we're doing that, uh, can I ask the guys who are responsible for taking up the offering to please come up and, and we, we're going to pray. Corinne, you pr- prayed such a nice prayer this morning. No. Please. Do you want to pray for us again? She prayed such a nice prayer this morning of uh, declaration over us. Thank you, Corinne. Thank you so much. Where's the mic? The handheld mic. Thank you. Let's just pray together. Corinne will lead us. Thank you. Thank you. Just take the offering in your hand. Yes, Lord God, I just thank you. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I just thank you, Lord God. I thank you for the blessing of giving. I thank you, Lord, that it is a true blessing to give. And Lord God, I thank you that, Lord, that as you see our hearts and giving tonight, that, Lord, that you are in the business of multiplying. And that, Holy Spirit, that you multiply according more than what we need. For your word says, ask for what we need and you shall give it to us more than we can ever imagine, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, I thank you for your favor of this money. I thank you for the people that are putting the money into the baskets. I thank you, Lord, that you are going to do a mighty work in Highway, and that, Lord God, because of this, what is coming in, that, Lord, that this money would reach the, the, the ends of the earth, the, the places where it is needed to go, the poverty-stricken places, Lord, the, just whatever it may be in need for your gospel to go out. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. Amen. A- amen. Amen. Thank you, Karine. That was very bold of you. A lady of faith, she encourages me, as does her husband James. Um, Let me pray my own little prayer for my own little insecurities. (laughs) Father, (laughs) Father, I know I speak too quickly sometimes. So I ask you, Lord, please help me. Just slow down. Father, I know I have a mind that races worse than any racehorse could ever race. I pray, Lord, that you would bring my thoughts in line with that which you want me to share this evening. And Lord, if my mind does race off, may it race after the Spirit and what the Spirit would say to us tonight. Thank you for the freedom you've brought us all into, the freedom to be ourselves in Christ. What a glorious freedom. This is what you've set us free for, to be free indeed. We thank you for that this evening. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, open our hearts. Make this, bring the application from this word so that we can live it. And thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always a privilege to preach and so thank you, Stephen, for the privilege. The message, I actually, in um, putting a title to it, I started. I always start my notes and just type any headings I can find it later to recognize where, where, where my notes are. So I left it with the, the heading, The Life I Now Live. And when I saw, so I printed it like that, I'm, I'm just going to leave the title like that. The Life I Now Live. And I'm going to be preaching from Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through to verse 21. So if you do have a Bible, I would encourage you to 
see for yourself and find it for yourself. The, the scripture otherwise will be coming up on the board. And so I'm going to read from verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. And I want you to notice, Paul moves from the we's, and now he starts talking about I. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And that's my scripture this evening. i um, just give you a little bit of an introduction. But before I do it, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but Jace, I'm so happy to see you here tonight. He gave his life to the Lord this morning, and, so, and, and his friends are here. So I, I really am encouraged that we are a growing family. We're coming into this freedom that is the gospel, and it's a powerful thing. Amen. Amen. And so let me just give you a brief introduction to uh, the book of Galatians without getting too carried away with it. I'm going to focus on verse 18 through to 21. Just to give you a little bit of a backdrop, backdrop Paul came to uh, this, Paul, uh, this letter was addressed, it's called a pastoral epistle, he was addressing some issues. Primarily he was defending his right to be an apostle or his apostleship. But most importantly, and I think this is what I really want to speak about tonight, is that he was defending this gospel that God had revealed to him. Jesus had revealed to this gospel that Paul had. Jesus had revealed this gospel to him personally. It's not something that he could even go to the other apostles, James, John, and uh, uh, Peter, he couldn't even go and confide in them because this gospel came directly by revelation from Jesus. And in some ways, I think he had a revelation that was going beyond that of his peers or the other apostles that, that were with Jesus when, uh, when, he, when he was in, in the flesh. Paul became an apostle when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and he has every right to, to call himself an apostle. That's, that's a no-brainer. But this message that he spoke about was a message that came by revelation from Jesus directly. And some of these apostles had already started slipping. Peter in particular in Antioch, he would, uh, there were a whole lot of guys, Jewish Christians that had just become Christians, and they thought, man, uh, we, how can these Gentiles all of a sudden be included with us? I mean, they don't have the scriptures. After all, they were running after pagan deities and all kinds of things. So some of the Jews had a real problem. And they became intimidating and they wanted to add law to grace, which is an impossible thing to do. And, and Paul had to correct Peter publicly when, when, when he was having a meal with some uh, Christian believe, uh, Gentile believers and they, these Judaizers came close. 
He felt intimidated and withdrew himself from them and uh, was in danger of going back and including some aspects of the law. So this is just a little bit of the backdrop of what was happening. And I, I did point out to you that this discourse, this, discourse this, this letter starts, the chapter that I read started when, Pete, uh, when Paul was speaking to we, he was talking about we, we were Jews, we were Jews. And then all of a sudden in verse 18, the we changes to I. And this is a glorious testimony. This is Paul's personal testimony, if you like. It's all about his experience and his experience and his knowledge of this great salvation. It's not only a knowledge of this salvation, it's an experience of this salvation. So I'm going to go through this um, systematically, verse by verse, and just casually speaking about the content of this so that we can go away and take application. And that's important because the scripture isn't it's alive and god wants to bring application to our lives amen so let me start by first the first where paul first this transition comes in verse 18 and as i said and he says this if i rebuild what i destroyed i prove that i'm a lawbreaker and i'm going to just tell you what i think he's saying then and i'm pretty confident that's what you're saying you're saying if we've moved into a whole new operating system, as Stephen said, if we've gone into a whole new covenant, and we are, we've just celebrated around the communion table, this cup of the new and everlasting covenant. So Paul was saying, here we are in the new and everlasting covenant, but should I dismantle this covenant and go back under law, the only conclusion that I would draw from that is that I am a lawbreaker. That's the only conclusion that you and I will ever conclude. So if we, if we ever feel tempted to move from grace or from this new and everlasting covenant that is not based on what we do or based on us fulfilling the law because Jesus fulfilled the law in, a, a, in He fulfilled the law and we are included in Him which makes us partakers of this divine nature. So if we ever get tempted to go back into law, the only thing that will be proven. If we dismantle this message of grace and go back into law, the only thing that will be proved is that we are lawbreakers. You know, you've, we've got to understand that this law was a, it was a vast, complicated system of do's and don'ts. It, is imp- it was impossible, absolutely impossible to fulfill. And we, you know, the, the Pharisees were guilty of choosing nice little bits for themselves, doable things like, uh, you know, not, we're not allowed to eat bacon, but we'll just get people to make bacon and it tastes just like bacon and we eat bacon that tastes like bacon and we think we're righteous. We're lawbreakers. That's all it will prove to us if we go back into the law. That's the only thing that, that, that will be proven from that. And so, Paul goes on to say that it's through this law that he died to the law. It's through the severity of this law that he died to this law. It's like, it's like this. Jump high. We jump high. No, that's not high enough. Jump higher. No, that's not high enough. Jump higher. No, that's not high enough. Jump higher. That's not high enough. Can't jump anymore. Jump higher. Can't jump higher. Jump highest. Can't jump high anymore. And all the Lord does, it brings um, ourselves to an end in ourselves. 
and we begin to realize that through this law, this, this system of hundreds of do's and don'ts, is, it's impossible to fulfill. And so through the law, he realized that he died to the law. It's an amazing thing that. Um, it's, so in, it's so demanding and it's, in its, it's so, such a demanding thing. And as I say, it's not the nice little bits. It's not the nice little bits. It's in its entirety. We can't just take the Ten Commandments and leave the ceremonial laws. It's the whole thing, friends. I really believe the Scripture teaches that it's the whole thing. And we've died to the law completely. Completely through the law. Jumping higher, 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 higher. Not being able to jump any higher and saying, there's got to be something else. And so through that, we come to a realization that there's got to be something other than the law in which we receive our righteousness. All the law could do is pronounce a sentence of death. All the law can do is condemn. And uh, Romans 8.2 says, Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. So all the law does, it pronounces death over us. It condemns us. And when we come to the end of that, we realize... Uh, we die to the law. We die to it. And so he goes on to say that I might die to the law so that I might live to God, live for God. I think that living for God starts when we realize every ounce of our own self-righteousness is not good enough. And it's only a righteousness that comes from God in Jesus who fulfilled the law it's when, that's when life begins. When the law brings us to a realization that we cannot do it in the law. Life, the life of God springs up in us through faith. So when I've died to the possibility of ever achieving a righteousness through obeying fully the law, life begins as I wrote in my own notes. And I think it's, it's a picture also of I thought of that parable. Unless a seed falls to the ground, and I'm not sure, I'm just going to give you that picture. It just came to me. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, dies to the law, realizes that the life is in, right, in Christ's righteousness that He gives us by faith, that's when the new life begins. So the life I live, I live for God that comes out of dying to the law. I, I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, thank you. And so... Um, yeah, let me think. So it's a simple thing. We now live. It's not a matter of us for wanting to, forcing ourselves to. It's a natural life that gravitates towards God, wants to live a life that's pleasing to God, that it's a life that's filled with God's power and possibility, and it's a life that really wants to please Him out of a natural new nature, a new nature that we get. So he goes on to say, that I've been crucified with Christ. So it's uh, that I might live for God. Then he goes on to say, I have been crucified with Christ. And this, friends, is um, clearly a position in which Paul died. He died. He was crucified. Anybody know anything about crucifixion? After you've been crucified, you are dead. Morse do it. Stone dead. You are dead. And we've got to understand that we were crucified with Christ... We died with Him, dead, completely dead. Dead, dead, dead. 
And the death Jesus died was once for all. So that when we died with Him, when we were crucified with Him, we died once for all. That death happened when we confessed our faith, we were crucified with Him. It's today the old man, my old nature, still remains dead and buried. And if I look forward, nothing's going to change that reality. I am dead, 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 past, present and future. I died with Jesus once for all. And so, dead. My old nature was crucified with Christ. And I want to just talk briefly about two unions. Two unions that we read about in the Bible. The first union was our union with Adam. We were all born into Adam, united to Adam by birth. We were born into Adam. And through Adam we inherited a sinful nature. So we have a union with Adam which makes us sinners. And we also do sin. In case you didn't, if you thought it was just an idea, we, we became sinners by virtue of us being united with Adam, but we also sin, the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. So we were united with, we have this one union in Adam, and then there is another union in Christ. And so when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, this union that I experienced in Adam is put to death. It's buried and Jesus rises again and I rise with Him and I am now in a union with Jesus. So when He says, I've been crucified with Christ, that old nature, that old union in Adam has been put to death with its nature and I'm living alive with Him in a new union. I am in Christ. It's a new union. A wonderful thing. So... Our union with Adam has ended by virtue of us believing in Jesus. We are dead, dead, dead. Past, present and future. That old nature is gone, for, for gone forever. Christ died once for all. In our believing we died with Him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And we also die, not only do we die to that old union and our, and our own self-efforts, and we are now uni united with Christ. It's such an important... So, God is amazing. He does away with this union in Adam, but immediately, through faith, unites us with Christ. So, He always doesn't just take away and leave us hanging there. He takes away that union, and He puts us in Christ, this new union, which is... I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Just, um, so, we also die to all... any. Anything that's, that thinks it's good, good enough to reach God's holy standards in our own strength. We die to all of that stuff. And so, I think, you know, as I was sharing this, I thought, we're going to sometimes picture in our minds um, the, our funeral sites. Just go back. You know, baptism is a picture of exactly this. It's your funeral. You died with Christ. You went under the water. You died with Him. You came up out of the water. He was resurrected. You, you are now a new creature. It's a picture of this funeral. And I want you people to think back to that time when you died with Christ, when you were crucified with Christ. Because if you battle today 
struggling with this, who am I, what am I? As Stephen said this morning, we're not telling people how to live. We, we, we're preaching who you are. You're united with Christ. You're in union with Him. That's who you are, friends. You know, longer united through, uh, uh, with Adam through birth, you're united with Jesus through faith. And I just thought of that we should maybe just in our minds, you go and do this in your own time, if you're really struggling. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to emphasize something that's already happened. But I think it might be helpful for us to go and visit that time that we confessed our faith and we actually see our own funeral. Jimmy, you were crucified with Christ. I don't know when it was. It was, when was it? Issa, you were crucified with Christ. Zip, I was crucified with Christ in April of 1981. And my friends, when I look at that, that burial, that funeral, and how I died with Christ, I promise you that if I continued living in that old nature and that old way and the old Zip Nolan, I promise you, only God knows what I would have been today, but I promise you, you would not have recognized me. Because... You can start to determine where a life is going. And my life was heading hellward, if you like. Rapidly. You would not recognize me. And so we've got to go back and give thanks and recognize that we were crucified with Christ. We died with Him. And if we died with Him, oh, please, I want to emphasize that we live with Him as well. And so we're going to get there now. So he says, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. If you doubt that, Go back and remember the time you confessed your, your faith in Jesus. You must know that that's the time you were crucified with Him. Your old nature died. Your old nature no longer lives. Your old nature no longer has a right to dictate to you any longer. And so we move from, from uh, I've been crucified with Christ and then Paul goes on to say, it's no longer I that liveth. This is an incredible union that we have with Jesus now. It's a, 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 um, what should we be saying in this new union that we're in Jesus? And we've got to understand that everything about the Christian faith is us being united to Jesus. So what, what is it about this new union? Let's, I'm just going to give you three things quickly. What, what we should be saying is that our position in Adam is gone forever. Our position in Adam is gone forever. Our, our, our status as condemned people is gone forever. Our position in Adam is gone forever. Our status as condemned people is gone forever. Because Jesus assumed the guilt that belonged to you and me and He was punished on your and my behalf. We are no longer objects of God's wrath. We are no longer condemned. Absolutely not. And then lastly, we should be understanding that the dominion of the body by sin is gone forever. Sin no longer dominates our flesh because we died. We were crucified with Him and we are joined with Him and we live with Him. And so, these are basics. These are the basics of our faith, friends. I know it might sound a little complicated. It's not. These are the basics of our faith. And Paul goes on then to say, But Christ, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that lives in me. Everything about the Christian faith is achieved through this new union. And Paul makes it clear. I mean, I can, I can think of scriptures many off the top of my head 
it says in Romans 6.11, We are alive to God in Christ. Uh, Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Or the old is gone and the new has come, it goes on to say. Ephesians chapter 2 says that, that uh, before the foundations of the world, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in His sight. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Everything about our Christian life is based on us being in Christ. Now, Paul mostly speaks, when he describes the Christian position, he speaks about us being in Christ. But this scripture says that Christ is in me. And he does occasionally say that. Mostly this language, when we see that Christ indwells us, it speaks about the Spirit of God indwelling us. It's, it's an indwelling. It's we, we indwell by the Spirit. The being in Christ is us being placed in Christ through faith. We'll look at that just now. But uh, Paul uses a different language saying that Christ lives in me. And I would have to say that probably if Paul, a little bit of shorthand from Paul, if you wanted to spell that out, you, you probably would say that Christ lives in me by the Spirit. But then don't think that Paul made a mistake by saying, because Paul could have said, Christ lives in you, uh, uh, that God lives in you by the Spirit, leaving the name of Christ out. I think Paul is very, very, very intentional that he says, Christ lives in you. And I would suggest that from, from a commentary that I read, this is what, what, uh, what, what it means. It says, it is indeed Christ by Spirit that lives in me, but it is no mistake that Paul says that Christ lives in me. Because if Christ be in you, this is important, because if Christ be in you, then the Spirit bestows life on account of the righteousness given by Christ. So in other words, because Christ is in me, the Holy Spirit can come and empower us. It's because of Christ's work in me that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can only live in us because we are holy. And we are only holy because Christ has forgiven us. So the Holy Spirit lives in us by virtue of the fact of what Jesus has done in us and placed us into. So it's important that we also uh, recognize that in this process of us becoming, uh, Paul saying, uh, but Christ lives in me and no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. We don't lose our personalities. It's important to recognize that. And the best way I can describe that, it is a mystery. But the best way I can describe that is the, even the picture of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. And that's what the scriptures are saying. Look at this. Two of you, individual people, come together in marriage and become one flesh. But you've got to believe me when I say, my wife still has a personality of her own, and so do I. And so, <laughs> so we don't lose our, our personality. We have a new identity. But God is working with our personalities and through our personalities. So don't ever despise 
who you are in terms of your personality, but also recognize that you are in Christ, a new creature altogether, a new Zip Nolan that went to a funeral and became joined to Jesus and is alive, living out his life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, it's a mystery. It remains a mystery. Colossians 1, chapter 1 and verse 17 says, What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? It's a mystery, friends, that Christ should be in us. It's a mystery that Christ should be in us and that we should be in Him. I love what Joseph Prince says and the emphasis he brings. And I did find James for the scripture earlier this afternoon. Where he quotes 1 John 4.17 By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day, in the day of judgment. And this is what he emphasized. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. That is, that is a mind-blowing reality. As He is, so are we in this world. Christ is in us, we're in Christ. And this changes everything. Changes everything. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by, the faith, by faith in the Son of God. I think what Paul is saying here is that as we continued, as we, sorry, as we started, so we should continue. How did we start? We started in faith. And as Colossians 2 and verse 6 says, So then, just as you received Christ, that's through faith as Lord, continue to live in Him. As we receive Christ by faith, continue to live in Him. Not as you receive Christ by faith. If, if, the, if, the, if, if God's salvation power is strong enough when you believe to save you, and we have faith in that, then God's power is strong enough to assure you if we continue to believe in Him, the same power that saved us is the same power of the Spirit that assures us throughout our life that He loves us and He loves us and He loves us, that He'll never leave or forsake us. And so we are to continue in faith, not waver and step back into some performance and think we can do it ourselves. We can't, it's just, all we're going to prove again, as Paul said in that very opening statement, all we're going to prove again and again is that we're lawbreakers. Nothing more, nothing less. So we to continue in faith. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. If it's good enough when we, if the faith in the Son of God is good enough to save us, it's strong enough and good enough for us, our, our assurance and everything else we need in life. But I do want to look at quickly as we, we move along. I do want to look at. Just this idea, we've got to be careful that, I think sometimes in our language, in our English language, we regard Jesus as an object of our faith. The Greek doesn't teach us that. The Greek preposition or the word that comes before this description is a Greek word, en, or in some instances, ice. For God so loved the world, whoever believes in Him, ice says that if we believe into Jesus, but the word en, in the Greek, oh, let me try and explain to you. In English, we might think of it like this. I believe in Jesus. Give me that bottle. 
And that might not be a good answer. He's an object. He's the object of my faith. I believe in Jesus. But the Greek would explain to us, and the, the implications are there. We don't believe in Jesus at a distance as an object of faith. We believe in Jesus. We are placed in Him when we believe. We're in Jesus. We don't believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We're in Him. That's what the Greek teaches us. That please, we don't believe in Jesus as the object of our faith. I thought I had gold dust on my hand. It's a little bit of water. We're in Christ. Bring it on, Lord. I can take it, eh? <laughs> Excuse me. All right. Let me not get so... So what does this faith look like? We're placed in Christ. And it's, this, is, this, this being placed in Christ is the pinnacle of our faith. It's not, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And I am now in Jesus. This is the pinnacle. This is everything about the Christian life. Is that we're in Him and He's in us. And in this place of intimacy, it's incredible. We're in Him and He's in us. This is a place of personal intimacy. Can you, all throughout these last few verses, you can hear something of Paul's personal relationship. This is personal testimony. I no longer liveth. I was crucified with Christ. And we go on to see, I, He lives in me. He knows this personal relationship with Jesus. And this is absolutely important. We were in Christ. And so, <clears throat> I want to just spin your minds a little bit here. What does this faith look like? If we're in Him, if we're in Him, is it possible that we should live by Jesus' perfect faith? If we're in Him, is it possible that we should live by His perfect faith? <laughs> and I'm going to say yes. Okay. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 says this, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is, and the NIV says this, is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. But if you go and look at the authorized version, or the ESV, or even in the NIV's footnote, you will see that this is what an alternate translation should look like. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So, okay, I'm going to suggest to you that the NIV got it wrong there. But to their credit, they put a little footnote to say that just we live from faith to faith. Whose faith to whose faith? Well, I would suggest that from Jesus' perfect faith to our imperfect faith, this is the life I now live is by the faith of the Son of God. It's His perfect faith that, that joins my faith and that's how I live. And so I really am convinced and I'll be happy if you saw it differently. It's from faith to faith. His faith. Jesus' perfect faith resulted in Him living a life of perfect obedience which resulted in Him being a perfect sacrifice which resulted in Him being glorified at the right hand of the Father and it is by His faith that we live. And okay, if you don't think that's enough, 
The second part of that verse is a quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. It's quoted four times in the New Testament. A direct, trans, a direct quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. The righteous... So now we've established in this gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. The righteousness that is from His faith to my faith. And then it goes on to say, the righteous will live by faith. And I want you to... If you have an NIV, you're welcome to open it at Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. And again, the NIV has a footnote. And I would suggest, again, they may have got it wrong, but to their credit, they put the footnote in. Do you mind if I just have a quick sip of water? And I'm, 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 not, I I'm coming to a close, so I'm not going to go too much longer, so be patient with me. The righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 Please, I need someone to find that. I wrote. Has somebody found it? Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Can you read it? You've got the ESV. Read it for us. Okay. 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 Okay, this is what Paul was quoting, okay? See, he's puffed up his desires and not upright. But the righteous will live. By his faith. And there's a footnote that says, The righteous will live by his, by faith, by his faith. Yes, by his faithfulness. By his faithfulness. Sorry. Thank you. you. You're on the right page there. So the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. So I'm going to reconstruct that whole scripture there for you so that I can make my point. And I'm not twisting scripture. Please, I would never do that. It's like, I wouldn't do that. Ah, thank you, Bradley. Okay, so I'm going to rewrite the scripture here. Uh, the righteous will live by faith. I suggest the life I now live, I live by His faith, His perfect faith, in His perfect faithfulness. The life I now live, I live by His perfect faith, in His perfect faithfulness. The life I now live, I live by His perfect faith in His perfect faithfulness. I have to stress to you, please, I'm not saying it has got to be faith to faith because it was faith that direct, was directed from God to mankind and mankind in His individual state never responded by faith. That would be like everybody would just be going to heaven and everybody would just be included. It's His perfect faith that comes down and our faith that is weak and wavering responds. But we live by His perfect faith. Please, we do not live... Can you imagine that if we had to live by our imperfect faith? I mean, just think of Peter. That's a lovely picture. He's on the water. His faith, Jesus says, beckons him, come, Peter. And he gets out and he starts walking. His faith's fine. And he starts looking, oh, this is an ocean underneath. I shouldn't be doing this. He puts his eyes on the circumstances as we do and our faith wavers. And let me say furthermore that even faith can become something of a performance. I must have more faith. I must have more faith. This, this grace message, this gospel, is so radically different. This is God's idea. No one in his right mind could have thought up something so glorious and so exquisitely, beautifully perfect. And even this aspect of faith, we can get into this. Oh, I must believe more. 
I must believe more. Okay. Then we can start adding. I must be, I must be circumcised as well. And, and I must start fasting. I must have more faith. It's by His perfect faithfulness. And it's our imperfect faith that matches. And it's an incredible thing that happens. I've got time just to illustrate what that means. One of my respected preachers, a guy by the name of R.T. Kendall, um, he moved to the UK with a young family where he was doing his doctoral thesis at Cambridge University. And his little boy was in an English school for the first three years they were there. And uh, this little boy was bigger than his peers. He was an American boy, went to an English school in London. And the boys ganged up on him and uh, bullied him. And so he had a torrid time. And so typically around the dinner table, R.T.'s little boy, T.R. is his name. It's, how's that for an American? But anyway, lovely guy. <laughs> as long as his, his name wasn't J.R. at least. Okay. And so he's around the dinner table and typically he would pray, Lord, help my dad get his default so that we can go back to America. Well, he got his doctorate. And um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the then minister of Westminster Chapel, invited him to preach at Westminster Chapel. And they had an extended stay of three months. To cut a long story short, they were called to take over Westminster Chapel, which is an incredible privilege. But Artie's little boy was totally flawed because it now meant he had to go not only to this school where they bullied him, he had to go to a completely new school. So on the first day, he took his little boy to the school, dropped him off and said, T.R., Baba boy. And he said, Daddy, I can't go. And he said, you must go, boy. And he said, Dad, I, I, I can't go. He said, boy, you have to go. He said, Dad, I, I can't go. And he was sitting with a really difficult situation and the Lord gave him an ins- uh, just a bit of inspiration and he said, I'll tell you what, boy. For every, every hour, every minute, every second, every hour of this day, while you're at school, I'm going to be praying for you. And this little boy, on hearing that, got out and went to face whatever he had to face in this English school. And I think this is a classic example That little boy wasn't living by his own faith. He was living by the faith of his father. And so we live by his perfect faith. We live by his perfect faith and his perfect faithfulness. Our faith will waver up and down, up and down. We live by his perfect faith and his perfect faithfulness. It's... Not, not only did Jesus die for us, right now, the Bible says He's seated at the right hand of the Father and He intercedes for you and I. We live by His faith, friends. We, we've got to get that. Because if we had to live by your faith and my faith, one day it's here, another day it's here, and we'd also fall into the temptation, I must have more faith. And I, I've got some other stuff, but I'm going to call it a day with that and I'd like to pray for us I mean that he does go on to say that we don't put aside grace and that there's this very personal sense in which God who loved me gave himself up for me 
This is not just a message to whosoever a bulk, bulk, scanning the numbers, bulk, SMS, I love you. No, it's very personal. He comes to you. He comes to me and he says, I love you and I lay down my life. Paul has a very deep sense of this personal relationship with the Lord. And we never put aside grace. Because if we ever start to rely on self-righteousness, the death of Jesus would have been in vain. Lord, we thank you that you lived a perfect life, Jesus. And that through faith we are included in you. We are in Christ and you live in us by your Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that this body of the flesh no longer dominates who we are. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness by virtue of your grace and what you've done for us. I thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you for all the wonderful exploits you have for every one of us. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God that loves us and is full of adventure. We just see how you created the world with colors and all kinds of different animals. You're full of adventure. And Lord, I thank you that you take us along on this journey of adventure. And Lord, we don't ever need to wobble or, 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 or get stressed or, key, uh, or get thrown by our own circumstances. For your perfect faithfulness, your faithfulness endures forever. Thank you, Jesus, that we're included in you, that there is therefore now no condemnation. Thank you for this new position, not only a position, but an experience, a reality. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that we take, every one of us, we take something from this sermon and bring application to our lives as the Spirit enables us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen.